0: Welcome to Short Course, Episode 12, for April 20th, 2018. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This week on the podcast, I want to talk about a class that I took this past weekend, and some lessons I learned from it, and some things that I tried there that I think were successful and might be helpful to other people in the future taking classes. The class in this case was Skills and Drills, taught by Ben Steger, and this is actually the fourth year in a row that I've taken a class taught by him. It just happens to work out that Someone in the area always schedules a class with him in this time of year, April-ish. When it's usually warm, it's the beginning of the season, so it's a good warm-up. And so every year I've taken either this class or the first year it was his his more fundamental sort of level one class. But in in every case, it's been sort of a good, just a good start to the season. Uh, check in, see where I'm at, and get some feedback on on what weaknesses to work on, what strengths to enhance, and sort of how to approach the season. And so, you know, you might think, well, I've taken the class once, I've I've learned everything, but but I really haven't, because the structure of the class is essentially just setting up a stage and on one bay and setting up a series of drills on the other bay and flip-flopping between them, getting to shoot the stage multiple times, and then getting to shoot the various drills Multiple times themselves, so you'll have a couple runs on each drill. For example, the the most dramatic difference that I've seen year to year in my performance and and being able to measure my change, you know, literally coming in as a different shooter than I was a year ago was this year. I, I very clearly remember taking this class last year and just being enraged by how inconsistent I was. So whether it was shooting the stage and having multiple successive runs at the same, literally the same stage with the only variable changing being my mental state or having each individual drill, getting five consecutive runs on it. And my pattern was that I would have one good run, either my first cold run on the stage or the first cold run on the, on the drill. And then once I had that under my belt, I would have this, this almost, feeling of freedom to just push and it never worked. And I would just go straight off the edge of the cliff and start throwing mics and no shoots or fumbling my draw or missing reloads. And so consistently last year, my first run on any given stage or any given drill was the one that, that produced the best results. And I I just, I could never beat that. I could never summon that same level of focus, even though generally speaking, most people will get Successively better at a drill or a stage just from repetition. You you just do it a couple times, and and each time you'll smooth out the kinks, and and get a little bit better. But that was that was very much not me. And so it's a very interesting checkpoint in time to take this class again, roughly one year later, and have put that mostly behind me. At least in in the scope of this class, that that was that was not an issue. So there were a couple drills where. I would lay down two or three good runs, get some piece of feedback, apply it, maybe do it a little bit imperfectly or push a little bit too hard. You know, if the feedback was just to, to ratchet things up a little bit, you know, maybe I would, I would go over the edge. And then for the fifth run, I usually had the ability to, to dial it back and, and shoot a clean run to finish the set. And what's really interesting about that is that I really haven't recently been training consistency all that hard. I do remember coming out of the class last year, spending a good portion of my live fire training running drills repeatedly with the mindset that you are only as good as your worst run or you're only as good as your, your average run. So if I had five runs and across those five, I had one or two runs that I tagged a no shoot on, I didn't get to feel good about the three good ones. It was it was the worst run that stuck with me and what that drove in was an emphasis that was lacking before on the idea that just because you shot a drill and lay down two or three safe runs, you don't get to, you know, just go crazy and and try and push and and hero or zero it. If you can maintain that consistency, which I wasn't able to, then you will slowly chip away five, 10% better each run. And so I spent a good deal of time on that last summer, but honestly, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about it a little bit. And so to come into this class brought back those memories of, of being that guy who couldn't shoot consistently enough. And it was very interesting to have that checkpoint and, and look back on it and say, I've made progress on that. I don't want to say I've fixed it. I don't want to say it's, it's gone, but that is a problem that I had. And I've, I've done a good job of minimizing it. And I know if it crops up in the future, how to address it. So you know in a, in a sport that can be very uh, expensive and time consuming it's nice to have this sort of checkpoint to to look back and say well I, I am at least in 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 a few ways demonstrably better than I than I was last year something else that I changed this year consciously was my approach to taking the class and how I wanted to to record it and remember it mostly because In past years, my attitude was that this was going to be a a two-day shooting bonanza and there were going to be all kinds of kernels of wisdom buried in in the data and all I had to do was capture as much of the data as possible and then I could spend weeks sifting through it and drawing out the patterns and learning from it. And I did that in the past, I think it was two years ago, I, I actually had a camera on a tripod videoing me almost every run and I kept a notebook and I would actually you know, write down the time on every rep of every drill and write down an impression on it. And it, it seemed, you know, very useful at the time, but I just never, I never found the data that useful. I'd open up the notebook and it would just be page after page of, of minute details on drills. And the, the data just didn't end up being that useful. I would also, you know, make an effort to make sure to video every class demo that Ben would do so that I could, I don't know, review it and dissect it later. And what I ended up doing was, you know, maybe I'd post one or two of them on Instagram and watch a couple of them, but you know, they're really without, without the methodology and without understanding the the concepts underneath it, just sort of watching the, the demo didn't end up being that useful. And so not really knowing what else to do, I said, well, that didn't work. So what, what can I do? Well, let's try just doing less. So this year, all I took was a, a little A6 notebook, which is a quarter of the size of a, of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. So a very small notebook and just writing no more than, than one line, literally one line in this notebook at a time. And so if, you know, Ben said something interesting, I might write it down, but I only had, you know, a couple words of space to write it down. And so I had to boil it down, just write a little key, a key into my memory, not so much try and record encyclopedically what he'd said, but just sort of write down some kind of handle that I could use to to record it and recall it later. And the other rule that I put on myself was that I could only actually write in the notebook when I was sitting on my stool next to my bag, loading my mags. And so I couldn't take the notebook around with me and, and be trying to jot things down at the moment. I had to be present. And, you know, when Ben did a demo, I watched when he was talking, I was listening. I wasn't trying to extract kernels to write down for further study which I mean, it sounds kind of creepy when I, when I talk about it like that, but that was, that was kind of the attitude that, you know, this was going to be 16 hours, you know, two, eight hour days back to back on the range. And I needed to, to capture as much goodness and, and sort of spread it out across the, the rest of the year. And, you know, it, it's a nice idea. I wish it would work, but, it, but over the last three years of taking various forms of this class, it just, it, it never worked out. And so I think, this, this approach of trying to digest things and what is memorable when I get back and I sit down and I, I'm actually looking at the notebook, whatever I want to write down then, making those sort of concise notes turned out to be a, a better way of remembering the most salient points. And at the end of the day, only coming away with a few pieces of useful data, but it's more useful Pieces than I had from the the vast sea of information. You know, I actually have some some things that I can take away from the class instead of sheets and sheets of raw data. And so that was, I think, a, a productive change. The other advantage to doing that was that by not trying to analyze what was going on at the range as much as it was happening, by just sort of recording little snippets and events but, but not really trying to pass too much judgment at the time. I will say that I think I stayed more relaxed and less self-conscious. And I wasn't trying to change during the class. And I was trying to just shoot at, at my current level, do what I, what I can do currently and not change things in the middle. And so I was able to get a much more consistent read between Especially between the stages and the drills, I, I, when I would make this, the same mistake in both places, in previous classes, my attitude would be, "Dang it, I need to fix that and you know test that fix right now and get it solved by the end of the day," uh, because you know this was sort of my biggest training opportunity of the year. And of course, th- the fact that I do go and live fire train on my own more helps because I don't I don't have to look at this as my main trigger time, my main chance to improve. This is more of a discovery process. It's a chance to get new ideas of how to train and discover the things, the weaknesses that I need to train. And so I was able to just take those and file them away, but not really judge them or try and change them. And so I think I got a, a more correct overall view of my skill instead of measuring my oscillating back and forth and oversteering and trying to fix problems on the day of. And that's a that's a good feeling, you know. I feel on the one hand, uh, generally like. I, my shooting is in a good place. There are a couple of things that revealed themselves over the course of the class. I think the most significant one is that I have acquired a bad habit of shooting steel with a target focus. And this is something that's showed up in my videos, in my match videos before, but it'll usually only be one, to maybe three steel targets in a given match before I kind of remember like, oh yeah, I need to focus on those and actually aim at them. Because what I found myself doing repetitively over the course of the class in different drills was getting a target focus on the popper and seeing my blurry front sight on the popper, but really having no awareness of where the rear sight was. So without that alignment, the the shots were just going wild. Now they would hit often enough that that I developed some kind of sense that that sight picture was enough, but it wasn't reliable. But there was something very unique about the class over the course of two days and stepping up and shooting a drill multiple times and getting some data and then going and, you know, sitting down and loading mags and going over to shoot the stage and then maybe having a problem with the steel and then going back and loading mags and going back and shooting a drill and having a similar problem that more so than a match drew out the, the common thread and let me see it because I just showed up to shoot and I wasn't trying, I wasn't setting up a drill to particularly work on this one skill. It was just sort of woven into all the shooting that I was doing, and the one salient feature started to stand out. And so I was able to observe that and fix it, where, you know, if I'd gone out to just work on that that one skill, I'm not sure I would have noticed the pattern or the trend quite as much. And then one of the more helpful things from a stage planning perspective was the ability to shoot a stage cold, not having any coaching on how to shoot it, approaching it the way I would a match stage, and then have been step up, shoot it, and talk about sort of how he approached it and why, and answer questions and, and push me to take somewhat more aggressive stage plans. Because my I've, I've gotten to where I am by being a sort of consistent, mostly shooter who takes generally safe stage plans. I tend not to shoot a lot of things on the move or take very aggressive stage plans that involve shooting to 10 or even 11. And that's gotten me to where I am. But at a certain point, I have to stop being afraid to take a half partial, no shoot target on the move at 10 yards, because the people that I want to start beating are going to be able to do that. And so if I, if I don't break out of this zone of complacency then, then I'll be stuck there for a while. And and that's that's not really what I want. And so being able to run my stage plan, get a baseline, see his stage plan, see how much better it was, and then run that until I could approach or exceed that time with practice. Obviously, cold runs and, and warmed-up runs on an individual stage aren't really directly comparable. But the fact that with three or four runs, again, going back to the consistency topic from earlier, being able to actually slowly build runs instead of have a good one and go crazy on subsequent ones. It, it was very helpful. It, it helped me to see some of the places that I'm giving up time, not by executing the plan poorly, but just, and not by choosing a dumb plan, but just by choosing a very safe plan and probably more so than is necessary to, to keep moving ahead in, in the sport and keep trying to climb up into the, the GM results, not just be in, in the pack of GMs. So on the whole, I think it was a very positive experience because I approached it with the attitude I did of just trying to, even though it's going to be two long days on the range, just trying to get two, three, four, five big things to work on for the rest of the year and not trying to fix anything in the class and just having things to work on going into my practice and getting some new ideas of of drills to try and ways of practicing to, to take into my live fire and, and dry fire. So last week, I put out the call for questions, and I got an interesting one that I wanted to talk about here at the end of this episode. And the question was, do you think the importance of shooting on the move is grossly overstated for minor-only divisions? In my own shooting, I've observed there are obviously some targets that pay large dividends to round off the edges on shooting, entering, slash leaving, slash as you roll by. I found that in my plans and the local GMs I shoot with, rarely is an aggressive on-the-move plan shot in production. I know this is strongly advocated by some trainers due to the academic advantage it offers, but reflecting on my last year of shooting and watching my plans versus the GM's, rarely is the plan to execute an aggressive on-the-move plan. And then he mentions Area 6 from this year and asks, what are your thoughts? Uh, So, I mean, first off, I don't think that shooting on the move is overrated, but I think it particularly becomes more important as you get better. So I think it is not that important if you are in you know, B, C class, A class, maybe not. But, you know, once you start getting into M and GM in production, it it becomes one of the places that that you can make a lot of progress. And so you can get into M class without shooting on the move much. And from a classification perspective, you almost never need to shoot on the move. So you can easily become a GM without being able to shoot on the move. But if you want to be competitive at that level, shooting on the move becomes more important the higher you go up in the skill level. Now, that's not to say that every stage will require or even reward shooting on the move, but if there are two or three stages in a match that do, on those stages, it will be a place where you can save two, three seconds, which as your stage times go from 30 to 20 to 15, two to three seconds starts to become a much bigger deal, especially in hit factor scoring, where as your score gets better, smaller and smaller improvements have a bigger impact on your your score. Now, what I think is also at play sometimes is stage design, and there are some particular things that you'll see in stages that make it so that shooting on the move, generally speaking, isn't as worth it as it could be. Now, any one of these things usually isn't enough to doom a stage, but if you get two or three of these things together, they make it that the shooting on the move on that stage probably isn't worth it. So one would be round count, two would be three or more targets in each array, so if you're there's no way with 10 rounds on the gun that you can split that array if each array requires six rounds the third one is high shot difficulty either by having it be a hardcover target that's really far away or no shoot targets that are sort of medium to far that where the penalty for a, an errant shot is very high or just particularly having the targets the barrels the walls the ports whatever it is set up so that the actual target is only visible from a fairly small slice of the shooting area. Obviously, if you can't shoot the target from more than one, you know, even being one step away from the ideal shooting position, then then you can't shoot it on the move, generally speaking. And a fourth thing would be if it's a relatively small shooting area proportional to the round count. So if you just aren't moving that much, which I think tends to be common in USPSA, then you'll not have that much ground to cover. And so there's not that much time on the move to be spent shooting. So, you know, if it's a 32 rounder and you're moving 10 or 12 steps total, then, you know, there's, there's just no point. You're going to be reloading every time you're moving because it's such a high round count. You probably won't be able to split the arrays and you're never going to be more than two steps away from another array of three or more targets. And I'll add one more thing which is the start position. If the start position is kind of unimaginative, you know, if you're drawing straight to a static target, well, then there's, first of all, it removes an interesting option that could be added to the stage by having a more complex start position that actually gives you more than one viable way to go from the beginning. But it also, generally speaking, if you're drawing straight to a target, then then there's no opportunity to draw and have the gun up coming into your first position, which is much more common in some of these start positions where, you know, maybe you're starting toes touching something that's a step or two outside the shooting area. So you have time to get the gun drawn, have it up, and as soon as your foot clears the shooting area, you can start pulling the trigger. It all depends on the stages near you or the stages that matches that you shoot, depending on the, the big matches that you go to. And you'll definitely see that, that some styles of stage design, some styles of bays really just don't lend themselves well, especially if you tend to have a club that runs lots of high round count stages. It just doesn't really lend itself well to shooting on the move because of these various things that I mentioned. But, you know, if you've got a a match director who likes setting up a, you know, that has a big bay and will set up a measly 24 round medium course in it, but it's got, you know, some of the targets are poppers that are scattered around. And so you can sort of choose which position to take them from. And some of the targets are open and visible from you know a 10 or 12 foot stretch of the shooting area so you can either take them on the move or choose to take them at different spots you know if you if you have somebody that designs that type of stages then shooting on the move becomes more relevant i would be remiss if i didn't mention that essentially the stereotypical 32 round USPSA stage with very little movement and no low ports or challenging positions is is pretty much the exact kind of stage that that doesn't reward shooting on the move and so I would like to think that shooting on the move is valuable and I want to keep getting good at it because I want to shoot stages that are better than that. I want to shoot stages that reward it. And so maybe it, there's an ideological piece wrapped up in this too, but I I'm just unwilling to, uh, to, to write it off as an idea because if nothing else, there will be one stage, two stages, you know, in the match where it will make a difference. And if you can get ahead on that stage, at least, by being confident in, in shooting on the move, then then I think that's worthwhile. But if you don't see that kind of stage at your local club matches much, and you have other things to train, I, I can't tell you that it's the most important thing to practice for, because I, I just said it. it. It may only show up on a minority of stages. But I just have this gut feeling that the better I get in the higher level matches I go to, the more complex stage design I'm going to see. And so as time goes on, it will be something that will pay more dividends going forward. But that's, uh, that's a bet that, that I'm making with, with my time and my training. And I guess we'll see if it pays off. That wraps up this episode of Short Course. You can find me on Facebook at ben Barry Shooting and on Instagram at BSBerry. I post my match videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash BenBerryUSPSA. My blog is at barryshooting.com. If you have a question that you'd like to get an answer to on the show or you just want to tell me something, you can email me at podcast at barryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.